0: inside of me Won't you burn in me so deeply Let the flame
1: So I wanted to start out today's broadcast talking about something that we have turned away from science on. Today we hear about there being many genders, supposedly, and you get to decide your gender, but going down that road has absolutely no connection with what the Bible or with what science says to be true. And you gotta feel for these kids that are going through these things. This, And a lot of it is not their fault, it's stuff that has been pushed upon them. And the confusion that takes place, there is indeed such thing as gender confusion. Now there is a court case going on right now in Canada. It's going on uh, over A doctor being able to give a mastectomy to a 17-year-old that is confused about her gender. This teenage girl wants her breast removed. And her mom has found out about what's going on and says, no way, understandably. Now, the court has told the doctor, you can't do this. The doctor wants to do it. Mom doesn't, but the doctor's okay with it. But the court, luck, uh, luckily, uh, I mean, you know, that's a great thing that the court decided this, says, the doctor, you can't do this. You see, well, that doctor has been given this young girl, who's obviously confused, he's been given her testosterone to head her down that path toward trying to be a boy. Now, no matter what alterations somebody might end up doing to their body, her genetic makeup will always say that this individual here is a girl. And she will always be a girl. There's nothing you can do to change your genetic makeup on that. There is no denying the science that's behind that. So you have to feel for the mom here that's been put in this situation. You have to feel for the family. You have even feel for the girl. Was so confused at this point. The daughter obviously needs some mental health. And more importantly than, than that is people that need mental health. It's usually a bigger issue. They also need spiritual help. That's the bigger issue. She needs God to renew her mind and, and give her clarity that only he can bring. So what would even put these types of thoughts into a young girl's mind? Or a young boy that's going through these these types of things as well. What would put these thoughts into their mind to think that she here should be a boy? Well, much of the blame comes directly on the school system. The school system has a class in Canada, in this case, it has a class on sexual orientation and gender identity. We in America also are having these things taught in our classrooms, and more is coming away um, if G- Joe and Biden, indeed, ends up being our president in January. No wonder our world is so confused, and this fighting all over the place, and there's depression, and high, exan- high anxiety, and uh, suicide rates. And um, It's because we are taught things that leave us confused. We're taught things in our school systems that doesn't give us truth, or more importantly, doesn't give us any hope. When you talk about evolution. At youth group last night, I found out one of my kids, that's what they're going through in the public school right now. It's the evolution. Now, she has been trained enough that she comes and says, it, uh, it's fake, 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 what they're teaching me. And she's right. And that kind of theory of evolution leaves you with no hope. But that's it. They call it a theory for a reason because it cannot be proven. The Bible can. But it seems as if the school system has an agenda to push kids to doctors to make decisions instead of getting the mental health they need. They just push them off to the doctor. It used to be that anyone that was confused by their gender or practiced maybe homosexuality or lesbianism, Whoever practiced those lifestyles, it used to be it was considered medically as having a a medical condition, medical confusion. But that is not politically correct to say anymore. Might not be politically correct, but it is correct. And the devil has no doubt attacked our school systems long ago. And now he's to the point where it's infiltrated so much that our schools are purposely sending children down the path of sin. In this case, in Canada, the law actually lets everything be kept secret from the parents as teachers are sending kids off to gender clinics without the parents even knowing about it. And testosterone was given without any input from the parents as well. On a child who at even age 17 years old, the brain isn't fully developed. That The decision processing making that takes place in the brain hasn't fully developed like it will until like, H25 that really finishes up. So I wanted to start out talking about this. And uh would you guys pray with me for this situation in Canada? And not just that, but for our whole school system, because this is it's not getting any better. Pray that our school situation would change and that our government would turn back to God and to real science. Which leads me into our next topic here prayer. That's the essence. Before we get into our Bible segment here through the Bible, I want to talk about prayer. And I want to talk about changes that are happening in the church, what we call the church in America and around the world. I'm not necessarily here talking about us at the Steadfast Church where I pastor, but but I'm talking about the universal church here. And I've heard it said for years that the church has turned to entertainment to try to draw people to church over the word of God. I believe there is something to that. Even if you are considered the cool church in town, You may get more people coming to your church because you're the cool church, right? After all, people people often gravitate to where people are gravitating. Where there's more people, there's going to be more people. But here's the problem, though. Filling a church with people is much different than filling the people with Jesus. We prayed for revival at church this morning, and we will continue to do so. For revival to take place, what we emphasize at the church is so important. Real revival is about heart surrendering to a steadfast walk with Jesus Christ. And it does not happen by focusing on entertainment. The church is to use new mechanisms to reach people. Absolutely. I understand that. We talked about that uh, last Sunday, that we need new wine, okay? Not just the old wine. We talked about crusty old religion. Okay, We, we, we constantly need a fresh walk with the Lord daily. So new wine and new mechanisms is very important. And that may mean that the way we used to do things to reach people in the past might be a little different but well, only in the mechanisms that we use the new ways need to have a dominant factor though the new ways dominant factor has to be the 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 thing that it's always been which is a commitment to holiness and a commitment to the gospel of Christ anything we do even these new new mechanisms if that isn't the center if that's not the dominating factor they're not worth doing We need the holiness and the gospel of Christ to be the center of what we do, to preach it and to demonstrate its application in our lives by the way we love one another. And we submit to the holiness and submission to action of the word of God, being doers of the word. I think a huge part to play in the revival of the church is prayer. That's what what it's going to come down to. Now, I'm going to make a conscious effort to try to make more of a commitment and an emphasis on prayer in our church services. This may mean that church members will need to make themselves more vulnerable. But that's a good thing. We want real, we want authentic walks with God. We don't want cookie-cutter religion where we sit back and be entertained. Instead, we need to be active participants and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That will lead to revival, and only that. I believe instead of relying on jokes or fancy presentations or a rocking band or a coffee bar with the works, whatever it may be, things that attract people, those things can be good, um, but what we really need, the center of all that stuff, needs to be a genuine presentation of the Word of God. And a crying out to God in prayer for the members in your church. For your nation. For your state you live in. For your city. For our families. God will transform our churches into having a powerful, genuine walk with him. Now, of course, many have had a hard 2020 as far as change is concerned. And, of course, we see all the post the 2020 jokes, right, about this year, and and there's there's a meme for everything, right? But if we are really serious about wanting change to take place, it is time we brought prayer back to the front and center of the church. Yes, we're to meet people where they're at, but we need to get back to the basics of the church also as being the center of everything we do, prayer. Communion, fellowship, and the Apostles' Doctrine, those four main things we're going to be steadfast in. What's the Apostles' Doctrine? It's the gospel message. And speaking of the gospel message, we're going to get into our Through the Bible study in the next segment. Why do we have genealogies? What happened to Enoch? Who are the Old Testament sons of God? Does God give up on us? And why are the days of Noah important to our future? All this and more in our Through the Bible segment, a chronological outlook to give you a full picture of the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to our Through the Bible segment, our chronological, verse-by-verse outlook on the entire Word of God. We are up to Genesis chapter 5 this week. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm using the King James again this week. It says, This is the book of generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made He him. Male and female created He them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created, so they called their name Adam, or uh, or man, is what this is. They called them mankind. So this is. This is what God decided to call the human race, mankind. Every part of God's living creation was made after its own kind, just like animals were, plants were, after its own kind. Uh, that's something that evolution hasn't overcome. You've never changed um, within species. You, uh, you can uh, have dogs that breed with other dogs, and but they're still a dog. Um, there's never been a cross of species and which evolution can't come up with because that does not happen it's after their own kind and human beings here god calls him man he gave them the man uh, the name man here so all of us together would be called mankind Some might say what what about women well women are included when we say mankind uh, out of man came women here there's no uh prejudice here at all. That's how the Bible writes it. So we're going to have genealogy here. Genealogy is important. Some people like to skip through them. Whether you do that or not, uh, we need to understand why do we have genealogies. The purpose behind biblical genealogies was to share, number one, through the scriptures, to share the line in which Jesus Christ would come through. And the other reasons would be where it's not the line of Jesus Christ. There are a few that give us a little bit of genealogy, and it's usually to pinpoint a time in history so we know what point this is talking about. The genealogy of Adam here needs to take place as it will come into play later when we have the generations of Jesus. Now, living as long as they did and the ability to procreate at older ages, they could populate this earth actually rather quickly. I don't think it would be far-fetched to say there could have been over a billion people on the earth at the time of the flood, which we're going to get to today. So verse 3 here says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, He called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So he begot a son after his own likeness, Adam did. So yes, his sons here, they look somewhat like Adam. Just like we look somewhat like our parents. A little different, but we look somewhat like our parents. The old likeness here. But part of that likeness is not just the outward looks. Okay. Part of this likeness was a sin nature. Each generation will have the physical likeness and the sin nature likeness because each generation due to the fall of man due to the sin of Adam, deception of Eve, each man will be born spiritually dead. Just like God said in, in in the in the garden, right? What did he say? He said you you eat of this you shall surely die. Well, they have, they are physically alive, but they are spiritually dead in the day they ate of it. And they did. Not physically, but spiritually. And you see, the spirit, that's the real you. The body, is just a vessel. The soul is your mind and emotions. But the real you is the spirit. That is why we all need to be born again. Jesus would tell Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. It doesn't mean you have to be reborn in some kind of incarnation and become a baby again or something like that. No, it means that you're spiritually dead. Your spirit must be reborn be born and the only way that, that happens is through your sin being paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It says here he had uh, Adam had sons and daughters at the end of verse 4 here he had sons and daughters. So it shows here that Adam had many sons and daughters here that we don't we don't have a record of all of them. With. We have some records here, but these sons and daughters are, are said here to let us know that they would be the ones that would be populating the land throughout this time period, and it would happen rather quickly. Verse 4. We're going to read through this, and this is just the generations. This will go rather quickly. It says, In the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters, and all the days Adam lived for 930 years, and he died. Verse 6. Seth Seth lived 105 years, and begot Enos. And Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years, and begot Canaan. And Enos lived after he begot Canaan 815 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos was nine hundred and five years, and he died. Seeing a pattern here. And Canaan lived in seventy years, and begot Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahalalel, eight hundred and forty years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. And Mahalalel lived sixty and five years, and begot Jared. And Mahalalal lived after he begot Jared 830 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were 890 and 5 years, and he died. And Jared lived 162 years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 100 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and 2 years, and he died. So the pattern continues here. Look at verse 21. It says, And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he had begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. Notice 24 here. The pattern changes. It says, And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. A different result there. So we see through these generations over and over what is the normal progression of life. And that is that since the fall of mankind started, after Eve was deceived and Adam sins, the normal progression of life was that death has now entered the land. And we human beings have to go through that generation after generation as we deal with things like sickness, pain, things like cancer, viruses, diseases, all the result of a dying and decaying world due to the death entering the land. And we see one after another, and so and so lived so long and he died. And so and so lived so long and he died. But for the first time in Scripture, we see someone here that didn't die a physical death Enoch. It says here, That Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. Doesn't say anything about death here. But rather, God took him. What is God showing here? I believe it is showing early on in the scripture something that will happen for believers during the end of the period of the Gentiles. Which marks the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble. Believers refer to this event as the rapture. When, like Eden, there will be those that don't physically die, but rather they just become not. Just like Enoch Enoch here, not Eden, Enoch. Enoch was just taken by God, he did not die. Rather, God took him. The event here happens as the dead in Christ. This is what's gonna happen. We have something to look forward to. The dead in Christ shall rise first, believers. And then those that are alive and remain on this earth, believers, will be caught up and meet the Lord in the air. At that time, there will be a shout, the sound of a trumpet, the voice of the archangel, Michael there. And just like Enoch here was taken out before what comes in the next chapter, the worldwide flood, judgment, just like Enoch was taken out. We believers as well will be taken out of this world before the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, the time of Jacob's trouble, it's called that because Jacob's another name for Israel. And Israel will go through what's more well known today as the Great Tribulation. While the Great Tribulation is going on, the church is not going to be here. Believers are in heaven with the Lord we have been raptured up will be in heaven with the Lord, and while that's taking place, there will be the worst trouble that this earth has ever seen happening called the Great Tribulation upon this earth. So if you're listening, know this. You don't want to be there during the Great Tribulation. Make sure you're going to be with Jesus on that terrible day of the Lord. Enoch here, he walked with God. And that is what it takes to be a believer. It's not just simply saying, I believe, check, I get to go to heaven. No, that's not the way it works. There are actions that go along with what you say you believe. To walk with God means to read his love letter, the Bible here, and do what it says. You're saved by grace and grace alone, but if you truly are saved, you will have a walk with God. Doing what his scripture says. You will be steadfast in prayer. Fellowship. You will not forsake the assemblings of the saints. That means coming to church. And more importantly not forsaking assembling with him. God walking with him throughout wherever he leads you. It's all about faith here. Hebrews 11.5 explains why Enoch was taken. Why he didn't die here. It's because he had faith. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, we're going to talk about, as we continue on here, another man named Noah. Noah also walked with God. What happens is Noah also is not destroyed when the flood came upon the earth. Everybody else is going to be, right, except for him and his family. So there's two representations here in, in, in these chapters chapter 5 and chapter 6 here. Enoch and Noah, both men walked with God, and both were to fulfill a picture. Enoch is a picture of the church, and Noah is a picture of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that instead of being raptured, they would go through the tribulation. Yet, just like Noah, who was around when the flood took place, the tribulation was happening during his time, Noah was around, God protected him. Revelation 7 says that he will seal the 144,000 servants of God during that time, just like God sealed Noah in the ark. Remember, it's God that shut the door of the ark, we're going to read. God will protect those Jewish evangelists during that time as well in the great tribulation. So, Two pictures here. One of the church was going to be raptured and caught up. And one of those evangelists, the Jewish evangelists in the last days, just like Noah, were here during the tribulation, here during the flood, God protected them. Amazing here. Verse 25 here. It says, and Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 780. 780 and two years. And he got sons and daughters. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. It's interesting here what Methuselah means. Methuselah is his name, but names in the scripture mean something, especially in the Old Testament. They all had meanings. Methuselah's name means literally, When he is dead, it shall come. Okay, what shall come? Well, it appears that Methuselah died in the year of the flood that we're going to soon read about in our next segment. Methuselah's name means that when I die, judgment is coming. Quite possible that Methuselah actually died in the worldwide flood. We do know, at the very least, he died in the year of the worldwide flood. But yet, Enoch was raptured out of there, taken. Really a picture of two choices here. One family member here, walking with God. And quite possibly, we don't know for sure, but quite possibly maybe Methuselah didn't. Taken up in the flood. Jude 14. Tells us that Enoch was a prophet. Enoch probably realized that the judgment that was to come. He, he realized that because he was a prophet. In fact, I, I believe he understood that the flood was coming. Um, but maybe he didn't understand that, but he definitely understood the bigger judgment that was coming of the second coming of Christ, his return. Well, he will come back. We're still looking forward to this. He's going to come back and set things straight once and for all. Jude 14 actually says this it says, and Enoch also, seventh from Adam here, this, this guy we've been talking about, Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings, Behold, oh, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Well, when does the Lord come back with saints? At his second coming. Enoch obviously warned the people. He's a prophet. He warned them, but people didn't listen. They decided not to walk with God. They decided to go down their own path. Whose judgment is going to take place? Enoch was taken because of faith. He had a close connection with God, and God said, All right, come home. Judgment's going to happen here. Come home. I have not appointed you to wrath because you have faith in me. Now, Methuselah here, the oldest man that ever lived, and his name meant. When I die, that's when the judgment comes. So why did Methuselah live so long? I think it's because it was a mark of God's grace. God was holding back as long as he could, giving people many years to repent and to turn to him. And eventually God says, okay, that's enough. And Methuselah would die in the year of the flood, along with all those who rejected walking with God. It was apparently everyone that was still alive at that time, because the only ones that survived, Noah and his family. And Enoch was translated. So Noah and his family and Enoch. The rest that were still alive at that time obviously weren't working with God because they were taking up the blood. Let's finish the chapter here. So it was in Lamech lived a hundred, verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and begot a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And Lamech lived after he begot Noah 595 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we'll pick up in chapter 6 in our next segment. Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive on man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years here. So, God is about to do something drastic here. Death has already taken its toll on mankind. Sin is progressively getting worse each generation that goes by. The whole landscape. The environment will be different after the drastic change of the worldwide flood. No longer will there be a canopy of water above the earth, but that's going to let go. And that canopy in God's original creation, that was a big deal. It protected them. After the flood, it will no longer be there for protection. They were in a tropical climate everywhere all the time without worrying about sunburn or any effects of the atmosphere. Man is going to be now more susceptible to the sun and changes and seasons and all the things that are going to happen. And the body won't last as long as it had been to the new climate in a dying world. Before people lived hundreds of years old, we've read about these in the generations here. We know that is not the case anymore. Right now, the average age to live in America is around 78 years old. And that's largely thanks to God giving us blessings with medical advances to help us get there. Before the fall, such things were not necessary. But today, we're dealing with disease, the result of the fall, and more things that harm us. Therefore, we We need a medical field. There are even points in our our makeup as human beings not so long ago that we didn't live much longer than 40 years old. All a result of death and sin that entered the land. So there's a drastic change that's taken place we're going to see here. Verse 4, it says, speaking about what happened with these sons of God here. I'm just going to read for verse 2 again so we get the full context here. It says, That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they were children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Who are these sons of God? They are not literally sons of God. God has only one begotten son, Jesus. The translation here, it has nothing to do with with God. There are many thoughts on this, but the one that makes the most sense to me is that this should be translated. And then when you compare it with other scriptures and when we see the language here, these, these are fallen angels. That's what this is. Demonic angels. Those that rebelled against God with Lucifer, with Satan. They rebelled against him. And somehow, perversively, they are messing around with human beings here. Apparently, they are marrying them. Marrying those from the human race and are having offspring here. No doubt it was an attempt to taint mankind's bloodline. That the Messiah could... Co- So it couldn't come if you taint the bloodline. Because they know it was said of God that the seed of the woman that was to come will crush the head of the serpent, that's Satan. Apparently, the reproduction that came out of this was abnormality. There were giants, these, these massive creatures. And you can picture what Satan's trying to do here. If he possessed all the people, are possessed with these demons and all this all this junk going on um, against the people on the earth. And then there's no way the Messiah would come. And apparently, he was pretty close because the world was so bad the, that God had destroyed pretty much everybody except for Enoch was translated up into heaven. And then you got Noah's family we're going to seek here. So indeed, it shows you the gravity of the situation. And Satan probably at least thought he was succeeding with the marrying of human beings here. But there was still Noah in his family, as we will see. And this can be a section, if you're new to the scripture, you're like, what is going on here? If you're new to the scripture and you're coming through, be patient. These things will be more clear the longer you get to know the Lord and go through the Bible. And next time you go through the Bible, it'll become more clear. But know this, that this is what's happening here. Jude 6 tells us that there were there were actually angels that didn't keep their proper domain. In other words, they didn't just stay as angels, but they tried to, to crossbreed with humans. They left Jude 6 tells us that they, they didn't keep their proper domain, but they left their own habitation. In other words, they left being just an angel and started messing around, marrying human beings here. This was not natural. Neither was it God's design. And God had to destroy Just like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah when they did those things that were not natural. With men, with men. Jude 6 also tells us what God ended up doing with these sons of God here. these, These falling angels, these demonic angels, these specific ones that are called the sons of God, tells us that they are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, for not keeping their proper place. Those that tried to mix with human beings, God chained them up. They're not allowed to go around anymore. They're chained until the judgment day. I believe, again, this intermingling was a plan of Satan to destroy mankind. And he's jealous. You see, man is the only creation that was made in God's image. Angels are creation. Animals are creation. Plants are creation. Everything's creation that God has made. But human beings uniquely were made in his image. And Satan's plan to destroy the line in which Jesus would come, he's saying that will leave us with no hope. No answer for our sin. Now, Jesus, he actually, uh, it is said that he actually went to these sons of God, these these ones that are in chains, really to do a proverbial victory lap after he died on the cross. He goes and speaks to them. And First Peter 3, 19, 20 says, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. These sons of God here, Jesus did. First Peter 319 when preached into these spirits and prisons who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared and which a few that is eight souls were saved through so he's talking about these ones that were around in the time of Noah the sons of God Jesus after he died on the cross went and really did a victory speech to them hey no you tried to ruin this this line that I would come through guess what? Noah was still around, and I had a victory. I went to the cross, and the sin problem is dealt with. Now, we don't need to spend too much time thinking about it, but while we're here, we cover it all. We want to make sure we understand what all the Scripture says. But we don't need to spend too much time thinking about it, and we don't need to totally understand it. But what we do need to understand, though, is that there is an enemy, and it's not people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people. This enemy that we have wants to destroy anything that has to do with Jesus. And he'll do whatever he can to do that. Verse 3 here. Again, it says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth those days. And also after that, when the sons of God, these demonic and angelic beings, came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So it says that my spirit, God says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. This shows us that there is a line that can be crossed where there is no return. Where that line is, we don't know. God, however, does know. He knows when people have gone too far. God knows when people have made their final choice, their final choice not to choose him. He says, okay, have it your way. God, however, will not allow you to have it your own way forever. He will not allow you to continue in your sin forever unchecked. There will be consequences eventually through the wrath of God. So because God will not always try to draw us near to him. Remember it says it shall not strive with man forever. He's not always going to try to draw you near to him. We always say, as Christians, as believers, as a pastor, we always say today is a day of salvation. Because you are not promised that he will try to woo you tomorrow. Yes, he loves you. And he will indeed exhaust circumstances to try to get you to repent and turn to him. But there comes a point, we human beings don't know what that point is, but there comes a point where God will say, I'm done striving with you. You've crossed the line, I'm done. I'm not going to try to woo you anymore. It's time for judgment. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. So it says here, according to this situation, that he says his days, man during this time will be 120 years. So God is saying, I'm done striving with man. But yet at the same time, the way God counts days is a little different than us. God says, I'm done striving with man, but yet he gives him another 120 years here. This shows that God is slow to anger and he's long suffering toward us. But there is an end of the line. And God says, 120 years from this time of this announcement, judgment's coming. The flood's coming. And it goes on and talks about the giants there. The giants were the result of these sons of God marrying in with the people, and they needed to be destroyed. Now, there's no doubt been giants before. I mean, there are tall people before this time and and giants later on. Um, But the difference is these ones here were unique, and then it was a crossbreed here, these sons of God here. Uh, The rest of the giants that took place, had nothing to do with demonic angels. they just, I mean, there was one during David's time, right? Goliath. All right. He came by normal means. Um, just like there's giants today, there's actually a giant's disease um, where they, they, they can go do a surgery to help stop their growing. But yeah, we still have this. But these specific ones were the ones that were intermingled between these demonic angels and human beings here. Crazy stuff, I know. Verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it it repents me that I have made them. But notice here, verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says here, Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, speaking of man, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty bad. Every means every here. We have many today that do a lot of evil in this world. But you still get some good intentions, some goodness out of even unbelievers today. I mean, people that do horrible things every once in a while. There might be some good things that take place. Here it says, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Just shows you the state that the world was in during this time. And it will be that way again before God judges the world again. Before the flood he judged, it was like that. And before he judges the entire world, the second coming, it will happen again. See, The scripture explains that the last days will be like the days of Noah. People will go around doing their normal, regular things, but the love of man will wax cold. Man's hearts, today, if you look around, we see it. It's headed toward this evil. We see it more and more every day as we kick God out of our lives. And God will have no choice but to come and judge the world. The scripture says he will actually cut those days short. He won't allow it to go on so far because everybody, a man would destroy himself unless he cut the days short. So we're going to have days just like the days of Noah and we're getting there. So this is what our world has to look forward to. Not in a good way, but to look forward to in a sad way. Now, so let's compare. Some things that happened in the time of Noah, we should expect it to happen in our day. Sexual perversion all over the place. It's going to happen in our land, and we see that. Demonic activity. you think this happened, demonic activity today? Look at how crazy our world is, no doubt. Evil in man's hearts. There's evil in men's hearts today, more and more. Corruption and violence everywhere. You see what happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday at the Trump rally. The violence, and we've seen violence day after day all across our nation. We have no doubt seen the corruption as well. We've seen the corruption in our government. And elsewhere, and we've seen violence on the uptick all over the world, like the days of Noah. Are we living in that? If we're not there, we're on our way. Verse 6 here said, "It, It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, when it says it repented the Lord, this is not repentance as the way we understand it. Why do we repent? We repent because we sin. we do wrong things. God can do nothing wrong. He can't sin by choice and and, and by his very nature. He's not going to do that. So the word translated here is just to as repentance is just to show us how quickly how in, and quickly in such a rather short period of time things can get out of hand, how mankind can mess things up. The world is a mess, and God is saying, it's only increasingly getting worse. Look how far it's come. This wasn't that long after creation, you know. In fact, Noah's father, Noah's gonna be there during the time of the flood, right? Noah's father lived at the same time as Adam. They were both alive on the earth at the same time. Amazing how quickly sin took off. God didn't repent here in the sense of he was sorry that he made man. Because God knew exactly what man's decision would be. He knew exactly what would happen. He knew there would be Noah that steps up and would continue the generations here. He knew everything that was going to happen. But at the same time, the, the idea there is God is sad. He does have feelings and it still hurts. He's saddened that man made that choice. Nevertheless, God honors man's free will to make decisions. We should as well. Even though God knew what was going to happen, he still sad about it. He sad about it today when man does not repent. He desires that none should perish, but all come to repentance and, and unto eternal life. But it says here, all this is happening, but Noah found grace in God's eyes doesn't mean Noah wasn't a sinner. Yeah. Noah was a sinner just like all of us, all of fallen uh, he, children. He didn't find grace in God's eyes because he earned it. It was given to him. If you want grace, you can have it. Anybody can have grace of God. How do you get it? You seek God and you shall find it. Romans 5.20 says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You see, God wants to forgive us and extend his grace to anybody that wants it, but it only happens through relationship with him, through the cross of Jesus. That's the only way By faith. Noah found grace in God's eyes. Verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. It says that Noah, he was a just man. And notice this, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It says here that Noah was a just man. doesn't mean he was perfect. But he was about doing the right thing. He didn't get deceived. He didn't buy into the bill of goods that Satan was selling. And it even says here that he was perfect in his generation. That does not mean he's without sin or without error. See, his perfection, what this is this talking about, is that he was pure in his generation, in his genealogy, okay? He didn't mix up with the sons of God here. He didn't mix up with these angelic demons, okay? He didn't get involved in all this stuff. He still had a pure genealogy. Yes, he was a sinner, but it was not tainted by these sons of God. That's how he was perfect in the generation. He stood out. So he had not been tainted by the sons of God and the corruption that happened to the bloodline of those that intermingle. So because of that, Noah could be the continuation of the human race due to not being influenced by these fallen angels here. And we're gonna come back in one more segment. I know I usually do two segments, but I do wanna finish this chapter. So we'll come back in one more segment and finish the chapter. So Genesis chapter six, Verse 11 is where we left off here. It says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth, just like we talked about. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them. With the earth here. God says, I'm going to destroy the people with the earth. See, God saw so much violence and wickedness that He says, along with the earth, I'm going to destroy mankind. Now, was God's judgment too hard here? Absolutely not. Man had free will to make their decisions, and the Creator. Beside that, the creator is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants with his own creation. The destruction here, though, had nothing to do with God's will. The destruction was all due to man's will. Judgment from God always is that way. It is the will of man that decides God's judgment. God's judgment is never arbitrary, but it's rather... It's it's based on what man decides. If man chooses to walk with God, in other words chooses Jesus, God honors man's choice with grace and eternity in heaven. If man dec- if man decides to go his own path, he determines his own fate of judgment, ending up in hell, the lake of fire. It's all on man. It's not God's judgment that just comes arbitrarily. No, nope. it's based on what man's will is. Man decides. Verse 14, So he says, Noah here, hey, Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shall you make it in the ark. And shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which you shall make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. And that's in measurements, uh, cubits uh, between 18 and 24 inches, I believe. And verse 15 says, a window shall you make to the ark, and in a cubit shall you finish it above. The door of the ark shall thou set in the side thereof, for the lower, second, and third story shall you make it. Behold, I, even I, do bring in waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is in the earth shall die. So he's telling Noah here, build an ark. Now the ark, it's, it's not really a boat here as we would understand boats to be. Or maybe we saw in some children's books of Noah. More like a, a giant box or think like a treasure chest here with plenty of ventilation. It's not meant to do anything but float. In the dimensions of the ark here, the way the dimensions are and make it more of the shape of a picture of shoe box here. Now, God didn't tell Noah at this point why he needs to build the ark. He just told him to do it. And Noah, he's just simply obedient to what God has asked him to, to do. He doesn't say why he just does it. It really shows a lot about Noah's character. I know in cartoons, uh, they Might have Noah going around saying, Hey, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, warning people. The scripture doesn't say that. There's actually no indication that anyone, including Noah, would even know what rain is. It had never rained before. Rain had never happened at this point. See, there remember that in the, in the original creation, there's a canopy of water overhead that took care of the watering that the earth needed through a water cycle that they had during that time of evaporation and condensation, a greenhouse effect. Now, Noah's Ark is one of the scriptures that um, many atheists will point to as the Bible as not being real. They'll point to that. They'll point to things like Moses crossing the Red Sea or Jonah and the great fish. When atheists attack the story of Noah, though, they're not just attacking the Bible. There is so much evidence in the Bible, yes, but there's so much non-biblical evidence for Noah and the worldwide flood. It really isn't debatable. The Ark landed on the border of what we call Turkey today, on Mount Ararat. Now we're not going to go into big details. You could do. We could do a whole study on this, but. Um, we're not going to go into big details on the podcast, but you can look into it for yourself, the writings of Barosis or Josephus, Theophilus, uh, Viscount James Bryce, and you can see the accounts of the Ark being in Turkey. And we've had people that are, are pilots that have said they've seen evidences there. We've seen archaeologists, um, archaeologists that have claimed to see it in the area of Mount Ararat in Turkey as well. Sadly, politics and the actual ability to get into that area made it hard, but there have been attempts to actually document the ark, and that's over there. And maybe there'll be access over there at some point, and just like with lots of um, digs they're doing today, uh, just prove the Bible more. As we see um, cities and different artifacts and different things, people discovering that back up with the Bible, saying. So there was no doubt biblically and historically and scientifically all all, all that evidence for the ark and evidence for a worldwide flood. And notice here it says they use pitch probably the ark here. And this, this makes sense. What is pitch? It's tar here. Why? Because tar is waterproof. I mean, we've had to do it. Um, we patch up our foundation before and then we put the tar on it, right? Or you have roof tar right you, you, you do it on the roof that you have this tar wide because you want to make sure water doesn't get in that's what they used on the the ark here as well this shoebox type shaped um, vessel that would float and would keep no one his family and animals safe from the flood verse 17 here it says and behold I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, Noah, will I establish my covenant. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of the flesh, two of every sort shall you bring into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of of birds after their kind and of cattle after their kind. Of every creeping thing as the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come into thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to you, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So the ark here, it's going to be huge. The dimensions. uh, but, of course, you might say, well, there's lots of animals, right? How could they all fit? They could fit because he only needed to take two of each animal. And that was God's doing, by the way. Noah didn't have to go out and search all the animals. The animals, by the way, would just come as God would lead them. And they could be any age or size, right? You could have baby animals, the smaller versions. You just needed the... uh um, ability to multiply, right? So the size of the animal, actually, I don't even think the size matters because there was plenty of room um, for all the creatures that God has created. If you had uh, all the uh, families of animals or, or the species, um, as far as room is concerned, it's, it's, it's about the same size as the Titanic ship. Picture that, how big the Titanic was. But rather, not shaped like the Titanic, but shaped more like a box here. And Noah did everything God asked him to do. We have no records here of any complaints of Noah. We have no record of him trying to reason with God, saying, hey, this doesn't make sense. I don't even know what rain is. Rather, what did he do? He just simply obeyed God in faith i hope we choose the big God in faith as well because without faith it is impossible to please god we'll come back with uh one more thought before we uh, call it the end of the podcast one more thought in just a few minutes This is what I want you to grasp today. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And just like Noah, know this, you have found grace in God's eyes. All you have to do is reach out to receive it by surrendering your life, your heart, your trust to Jesus the Christ. Surrender to Jesus, you are saved from the wrath to come. More than that, you get a personal relationship with God, who is love, and it gives you a joy that is unspeakable. Know this Christ loves you, Jesus loves you, and we encourage you to stay steadfast and know that Christ. Was committed to you on the cross, so it's only right that we commit to him. So let's commit to him together, grow together, and stay steadfast. May the fire inside of you burn deeply for the Lord. We'll see you next week.
0: Fire inside of